Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. My name is Joe Hilliard. Dave Gurney is gone for one more week, but who cares? Because I've got two <laughs> of the best guests you could think of, and I'm just going to go clockwise, and we'll start with Kaylee Diaz. Hello! How are you? And next to her, to right across from me... Oh, don't answer my question. It's okay. Go to, to the next guest. Oh, I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Uh-huh. Uh, it's Pam Briard. Pam, how are you? Uh, I'm excellent. <laughs> I'm fine, by the way. Okay, so we're doing something a little different. Oh, I knew that you were fine. Um, We've been talking and chatting. Bread has been traded. Uh, Pam gave me bread, and she told me it was spicy, and I think I'm just, like, absorbing it a little bit. I'm very excited. I'm spicy today. I got Irby. <laughs> KFC. And the only thing that I brought the two of you are at least two beers. And we had a little chat before mm-hmm. we got started on our little Facebook chat. And just remind me, Kaylee, what kind of beer you like. And I knew it was the stouts. You like the darks. You don't like those lagers. You certainly don't like the hoppy IPAs. I don't like the hoppy stuff. I don't like the stuff that feels like... Um, um, grass. Grass. <laughs> I don't like the really yeasty stuff. I don't want my mouth to, like... I don't want my mouth to feel like a yeast infection. Like, <laughs> it just... It's too much uh, for right. me. Come on now. Okay, so <laughs> I don't think that that's going... I don't think you're getting a yeast infection from this one. This is... Uh, from a brewer we have had before, it's Turning Point Beer. They are out of Bedford, Texas. It's our fourth time to enjoy Turning Point Beer. This is their barrel-aged stout. Okay. And because we only have one can to split <gasps> among us, something might happen soon. Okay. So, it, uh, this is a blend of Imperial Stouts in three different whiskey barrels. They were The, the Weller barrel was mm-hmm. aged for two years. The Blanton's barrel was aged for 15 months. And the Sagamore rye barrel was aged for 20 months. They blended it together to get the taste that they want. Okay. And that's what we're doing. So let's get a little beer in our glass and, uh, you know, go from there. I do. I like whiskey. I, I don't drink it um, anymore, but, like, I do like whiskey, so I'm excited for this. And, of course, the whiskey barrels, you know, is designed to, infu- to, to yeah. infuse a little more of an alcohol feel yeah. and an alcohol flavor. So, yeah, Pam, I'm going to watch you do this. I think that you're about to make a mess. It is. Um, it's spilling over the can. There's Oh, no, is, you did a great job. Oh, look at that. Professional. Thank you, ma'am. All right. So, Pam, we're going to and, and Kaylee, we're going to stick our nose in there. We're going to oh, yeah. sniff it. We're going to smell it. We're going to see if we can taste that bourbon barrel. If uh, it low key smells like soy sauce. And it looks like soy sauce. It does smell like soy sauce. Well, we may have a problem then. I mean, you don't like soy sauce? Well, no. Sometimes a soy sauce specific flavor uh-huh. is an indication that the beer has turned. <gasps> but this is a brand new, this was bottled uh, earlier this year. So I'm hoping for the best. No, it I is, think it's the, the barrel you're, you're yeah, smelling. Because but of it the was rye. just that. It was just that first initial, like, mmm, Chinese takeout. Okay, so, <laughs> Kayla, you said this would be up your alley because you prefer the darker stouts and mm-hmm. using Guinness as a model. Yeah. So we're going here first. Did I say the ABV? It's 14.2. Do I tell you if I like it now or am no, I waiting? Go, give it a little okay. time. Give it a little time. Also, let's see. I'm going to tell you all sorts of things. See if, I hope so. See if it changes as it warms up. That's another thing we're looking for. Mm. 
And and Kaylee, we will reserve the ability to talk about anything we want to in after hours. Mm-hmm. In case you don't know, that is our Patreon subscriber bonus episode. You can find it at patreon.com slash bear in a movie podcast. I actually got a, a text from my husband after the last time I was here and our Patreon after hours was sex on the beach. Right. And I shared some um some things yes. and I said some, some sandy things, tales. Some sandy tales <laughs> details. Um and I got a text from my husband about like so um after hours huh and i was like i don't even remember what i said and i'm not subscribed to the patreon so i can't even go listen to it so i'm gonna let my imagination run i will tell you that that was mostly david (laughs) talking about how you don't want to have sex on the beach yeah he's being a stick in the sand you didn't say much okay he got into the levels of friction and other you know that's what after hours is all about Okay, I asked the two of you, we did not want to do a new release this weekend, so I asked the two of you to give all three of us some titles of your favorite films for a new series that we'll do from time to time called Our Favorite Films. Kaylee, we're starting with you. Mm-hmm. This was your pick. Pan's Labyrinth, 2006. Uh-huh. I'm just going to quickly synopsize it, and then I'm going to yeah, throw a question yeah, right at you. Yeah, go for it. It's 1944, and the Allies have invaded Nazi-held Europe. In Spain, a, gr- a troop of soldiers are sent to a remote forest outpost to flush out the rebels. They are led by Capitan Vidal, a murdering sadist. And with him are his new wife, Carmen, and her daughter from a previous marriage, 11-year-old Ophelia. Ophelia witnesses her stepfather's sadistic brutality and is drawn into Pan's Labyrinth, a magical world of mythical beings. Again, sometimes these synopses that you pull off the internet don't really do a great job. I will say it's (laughs) written, directed, and co-produced by Guillermo del Toro. We are Guillermo del Toro people here at Beer in a Movie. This is our sixth del Toro film to discuss um, I've got the cast here in front of me if we need to reference it. But I'm going to open it up with asking you, Kaylee. Yes. Why is Pan's Labyrinth one of your favorite movies? Because I wanted to be edgy and cool with this whole, like, movie crowd. And I yeah. figured if I was like, The Notebook, you guys probably wouldn't ask me to come back. Okay, let's, let's <laughs> um, be real, though. Is The Notebook uh, also something that you, you know, you put um, on that list? Actually, I've never seen The Notebook, okay. to be honest. Um, my grandmother had Alzheimer's and like nothing about that that film is appealing for me. Um, Got it. But no, I, we, I threw out the list and Pan's Labyrinth is always going to be on that list because um, what year did it come out? Remind me. 2006. 2006. So I was in high school. So of course, like I saw it when I was in high school and it was like the edgy, cool thing. You know, like we were still watching Boondock Saints and talking about how awesome we were. So sure. a Del Toro film was really up our alley. We're like, oh, it's beautiful. Nightmare Alley? Never mind. Nightmare <laughs> Alley. Oh, that's a different movie. But I did see that one. So I watched it then and I was really into the dichotomy of it being, you know, very beautiful and and just enchanting and then dark as fuck. And yeah. creepy. And creepy. And there was, um, I was a theater kid and I was really into doing theatrical makeup at the time. And that's kind of translated into stuff that I'm working on now, like using those kind of skills. But I loved like with the pale man and the effects and not everything is all CGI in here. Like there was a mm-hmm. lot of practical effects that I thought was, uh, was really appealing. And there's just something about the way that Del Toro makes these very sympathetic, empathetic, relatable characters that are usually like children or monsters or, you know, ethereal in some way. I just, I thought that was so cool. And like, every time it comes up, like, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll watch that. So it's one of my go-to like sick day movies. Yeah. I, I, 
was so happy that you suggested it because Pan's Labyrinth is indeed one of my favorite movies. It is certainly my favorite Del Toro movie. He has not not a, Hellboy. No, no. <laughs> he has not eclipsed it with some great work, mm-hmm. including Nightmare Alley, which I mentioned. The Pinocchio that came out last year, I thought mm-hmm. was, we all thought was pretty incredible for an animated film or for a film. Yeah, um, I tried watching that with my kid, and that was a little. Um, it was interesting. Yeah, you mentioned on the chat, and then you've already used the word creepy. Pam, is this your cup of tea normally? Well, you know, this is the first time I actually got through this movie. Oh my gosh. I've tried to watch it before, and I'm not sure where Mm -hmm. my hesitancy was from, although I will say that when it came out, the person who absolutely loved it the most that I knew was also creepy, so (laughs) it might have been by association. You didn't know me back then. (laughs) But um, it's kind of the adult version of Narnia, isn't it? Yeah. In some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, I think part of my response to it is it's, such, it's so visually compelling. I mean, it's extraordinarily beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's also very dark and, it is. you know, kind of oozes around the edges in some way. And, you know, it's interesting when I was looking at it, you know, there is actually no pan in Pan's mm-hmm. Labyrinth. It's the fawn. Right. But it didn't translate that way. Oh. Yeah. So, so. Is, the, is, is the original title... Yeah. It's still it's Pan, a, or is it no. something... Uh, El Labyrinth del Pan. Uh, fawn. Fawn. Oh, fawn. okay. Yeah, something Interesting. like that. Interesting. I'll look that up. But I did get through it, and, and I did enjoy it, and mm-hmm. I did like it. And, and the part that really captured it for me was at the end when she's transported to... You know, the other place where she's a spoiler friendly podcast. She, yeah. she dead, girl. But she's actually dead, you know. <laughs> El Labyrinto del Fauno. Yeah. Is the Spanish. I'm going to believe you. Yeah. I am struck immediately when you first start the movie by the pathway that Del Toro takes you into the fantasy world mm-hmm. while he's telling you a very compelling real world story. Yeah. It is she and her mother. Her mother is ailing and pregnant, both, mm-hmm. um, as they meet, as she, the daughter, Ophelia, meets her new stepfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he is uh, a soldier under Franco. Mm-hmm. So she's moving to a fascist regime, you know what I mean? And, and while her mother is ailing, while she puts her hand out awkwardly to meet her the 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 man that his her mother is saying call father yeah which is weird I'm glad my parents didn't do that the uh, right no like I mean like call I, him dad <laughs> I demand it man like I don't even call my husband daddy I ain't calling you dad okay <laughs> no the the house that she now lives in the compound is under attack there's mm. generals and military figures all around her it's scary it would be scary for an adult much less this 11 year old child well and this is this is post uh, Spanish Civil War as well. This is like immediately following. So, I mean, her entire young life, I mean, safe to say has been like a little tumultuous. And now she's, you know, with douche of the year right. stepdaddy. And, and then when the car stops, mm-hmm. we meet, or she meets uh, a, a, a walking stick, so, you know, a mm-hmm. flying mantis, you yeah. know, a, a, an insect of sorts that begins communicating with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not through verbal but through just you know being around and leading her to a little yeah. statue or whatever and that's just the beginning of what we what we what we learn and i guess is a question a girl that's either coping with the world around her by entering into a fantasy world in her mind yeah 
or behind the compound is a real labyrinth, an ancient labyrinth, and a fawn, and these little pixie creatures, and mm-hmm. everything that we meet. And the frog. The frog. Let's not forget the frog. <laughs> I do. I love the like the ambigu- ambiguity. Or what, how ambiguity. Just, ambiguity. Ambiguity. <laughs> it was in my head. I could see the word. I just couldn't say it. Of they. They never really say like, is this real? Is this not? I think that 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 does leave some up for interpretation. The style in which it switches from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a wipe screen mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, now we're over here. We're doing this. It's like a tree branch passes in front right. and then all of a sudden pan or the fawn is there. Yeah. Or, you know, now we, we kind of shift into this. And then there are elements that are true in both. So, I mean, we've got like the whole changeling aspect, like the mandrake root is there in the fantasy and in the real world. Like there's, right. I, I loved that. And there are so many different folklore bases in here. And like, I know when I was, uh, when I was working with my husband on 50 States of Terror, one of my favorite things was looking at, like, what are the folklore for these areas? We're talking about spooky stories. Where do they come from? And that is something that has always been interesting to me. So seeing different things, I'm like, oh, that's kind of like some Snow White shenanigans over there. Or like, oh, now we have changelings. Or we have we Alice have in this. Wonderland. We have Alice in Wonderland. We have Don Quixote. We have all of these things that keep popping up, but it's still telling a very centralized, streamlined story. But no, I think it's great. I love it. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And I think the thing you hit on that really makes it work is it's believable. The fantasy aspect of it is mm-hmm. believable. It doesn't feel like pure imagination. It, he, I mean, he creates this world so completely mm-hmm. that you get absorbed by it and you can almost believe it that it's real. And that, you know, that's the wish of every kid who has a problem or doesn't understand their parents yeah. or is jealous of a mm-hmm. sibling or something is that, you know, they, the escapism of it is very dynamic, I think. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is that the escape, what she is escaping into the fantasy world that <laughs> let, let's just say for now that she's creating. In yeah. Her mind, yeah. I'm, I'm down is just as horrific as the, the real world. But I think that there's a point to that because I mean, when, when you look at these stories that, you know, in all societies, we have these stories, um, these fairy tales, these, you know, like, don't, like, La Llorona, don't go down to the water, right? Like, mm-hmm. those are supposed to be learning stories. But they're also supposed to be ways for children who lack the mental capacity to really understand the complexity of the issues, be like, oh, I can't go to the river because I might die. It's not, hey, I might lose control and I might slip under the water. And when I fail to receive that oxygen, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, the woman's going to get me. Mm-hmm. So she's taking all of this like stimuli that's coming in and she's creating a way to rationalize it to really like make sense of all of it and deal with it in, in, in some ways. I think so. I think it's also... I'm not the psychology person here, but like that was what, like, right. what, no, well, what my brain said. No, yeah, let's throw it straight to you, Pam. What's this all about psychologically? Go. Well, you know, it's... <laughs> I want of, a diagnosis. It's one of those movies that could almost make me believe in Freud, but I'm not going to go there because oh that would be gosh. like a blasphemy for me. <laughs> um, but the other thing it reminded me of was the Wizard of Oz books. I was a huge... Uh, a reader when I was a kid mm-hmm. and my mother was a librarian. I would leave grade school and I would go to this little one room library we had in this tiny town I grew up in. And I would sit there and I would read until she got done with work and I would go home with her. So I read probably every children's book in the library and uh, which tells you a lot about my childhood. <laughs> and, and a lot of, you know, fairy tales are very stark and like the Oz books are also mm-hmm. like this. I mean, the wizard of Oz is sort of nothing like 
the yeah. real book, which mm-hmm. it deals with a lot of terror and transformation and so those sorts of things. Return Pardon? to Oz got real dark, didn't it? Mm. Oh, there's like, <laughs> there's almost 30 Oz books. I think there's maybe a dozen by Frank Baum. And um, the original books are very beautiful. They have beautiful and great plates in them and they're very collectible. And But they're scary. I mean, they're full of transformations and changelings and alternate worlds and little girls who mm-hmm. are in trouble. Oh, if I remember right, at the very end when she, um, after she dies and she's going up to the thrones where her parents are with the, the empty seat next to them, she's wearing red shoes, which I know is not accurate yeah, no, to the books. Straight but out of Wizard of Oz. It was though. very much a, a, a golden movie. golden throne, golden brick road, uh, red right. shoes. I mean, they weren't they weren't sparkly, but... Did you notice how the, the parents looked like the stick... Insect sort of. They were tall and skinny and everything. Man, I wish. I want to be a so much, insect. so much gorgeous visual design. Yes, it was yes. really visually compelling. And it's, like, it's iconic. Like, I mean, you you see these references. I mean, I want to say I even saw it on like RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, I mean, just putting the eyes and the hands, like, don't get me wrong. I know there's like other like, you know, things that have done that before. But when people are putting it up over their eyes and, and trying to do the pale man impersonation. Right. I like it. So, so she meets the fawn who mm-hmm. says that before the full moon, you have to complete three tasks. And I, and those are the set pieces of the movie. Those three things, the chalk, the ability to draw a door into mm-hmm. her from her wall into this world. I wanted to talk about, I mean, the first one is uh, retrieving a key from the frog from inside of a frog. <laughs> Who that was regurgitates <laughs> its whole being and then collapses like a deflated balloon. And I, 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 it was, like I said, that visual component of this that makes it so compelling. And again, this is an R-rated, ultra-violent film. This is not for children. I, I mean, children can watch it. In my it's for the child in all of us. That's right, though. It is for adults <laughs> to understand scary. the power of the fairy tale to teach us a story or tell us a story that, that is, I guess what I said earlier, a indication of 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 what this life is yeah you know that's what wizard of oz was it and is. you were there and you were there yeah. and you were there but it's told in this colorful beautiful way mm-hmm. uh the second one was the the pale man the pale man who's like eating fairies and, and whatever you do don't eat anything from the table and why do you but tell it was only that? two grapes right well i mean persephone only <laughs> had six seeds yeah, i know and now we've got winter so i mean uh, well, not here. <laughs> but when that thing launches to life, the twitch of the left hand, the twitch of the right hand, the putting the eyeballs into the mm-hmm. palms, the the way he moves. The yes. same actor is playing Pan, by the way, or the Fawn. Oh, and I know way. his name. I know his name. Uh, I've it's, got it here. It's, it's the guy. His name is, is, it's not Billy. It's um Doug. Doug. Fuck, it's Doug. And he's in every <laughs> episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I almost said Billy Jones, and I'm sure that's somebody else. But. Right. Don't look it up. No, I love Doug Jones. He's so funny. Oh not in this gosh. movie. He's not, not in this movie. No, um, no but I, I, I have like a weird love for. But for that him. pale man sequence is creepy. Oh, we got. Oh, for sure. Uh, the character is creepy. The the pursuit of him because uh, his eyes are in the palms of his hands. So he's got to put his hand out as he's chasing her lumbering in that crazy gate. Yeah. While she's trying to draw something on the <laughs> wall or ceiling to get out. It is so tense and lovely and and wonderful. Now, did you already know that she was going to die when um, when the film started? Like, did you have no. any? Well, taking myself back to the first time I watched yeah, it. Yeah, the first time you watched no, it. No, of course not. That's not what happens in a fairy tale. I thought she Ever. was going to die. You know, because her name's Ophelia. 
she was going to go mad and she was going to die. Oh. Like, very Shakespearean. Like, I mean, she didn't drown herself in a river or anything, but like... Everybody kind of died, didn't they? Except her brother. But I want to go back to the creepy captain. Because I'm going to relate it to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So this guy is a sadistic asshole, right? Yeah, Uh he's the worst. And the two scenes that really put that out there for me, the first one is when they find the guys hunting in the woods and he kills them. And they said, well, we were just hunting rabbits. (laughs) And they pull the rabbits out of their sack and he says, well, next time, you know. Yeah, interrogate these people correctly. (laughs) But the other scene that completely creeps me out is when Mercedes cuts his mouth uh-huh. and he sews it up by himself. Oh, I, I had to look away. Oh, I, I don't do that body. I don't like body armor. I don't do that stuff. That is so sadomasochistic yeah. at the nth and, level. And he opens and, and his he, mouth in that, that, that corner of his mouth. Yeah, it's like the uh, joker. You uh, know. All right, why don't we open a rogue beer? <laughs> oh, well, then I'm going to claim the rest of this can. Uh, okay, go ahead. Okay, I'm going to. Okay, from Ingenious, which is now the 15th time we've been to Ingenious, which breaks a tie with Jester King. They are now the lead of the most times we've ever visited one brewery. This is their cookie and cream imperial milk stout. 10% ABV, double stuffed with your favorite chocolate cream sandwich cookies. Oreos. This Imperial Milk Stout is the creme de la creme. Dunk it, twist it, share it, just don't shotgun it. This is an Imperial Milk Stout aged on vanilla beans, cacao nibs, and chocolate cream cookies. I mean, I feel like it told me I shouldn't, so I feel like I should pull in Ophelia and I Just slam it, yeah. Take your portion and slam it. I think the soy sauce flavor is the bourbon barrel. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's sweet. Because soy sauce is kind of sweet. Yeah, there's like a sweetness to it. It's Hmm. like Kikoman. Enjoy that. Enjoy it. I'm going to finish this one. So then the third set piece is uh, the fawn convinces her to grab her brother. Her mother has passed. Mm-hmm. That's a horror. Her mother- I mean, but it's required That's for That's a bloody, disgusting tale. horror. I mean, but every fairy tale, like, the parents have to die. So You could tell it was a European film because you knew the minute you saw the mother that she was dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now it's um, grab your brother and bring him to the labyrinth uh, b- under the full moon. And mm-hmm. when she gets there, he has a dagger and wants to just a, just a pinprick, just a tiny little bit of blood. And that will open up the, you know, then you can regain your throne as mm-hmm. the princess that you are. And she's got, she's got this <laughs> horrible choice to make where it's, you know, protecting the brother, give the brother to the, trust the, trust the fawn. Yeah. That's so, so far. I mean. Well, except for the time when uh, he like left and said, yeah. you didn't, you didn't follow the rules and you will never be the princess. And all of a sudden he shows up because this is still no, a he's thing. He's a bad ex-boyfriend. I get it. <laughs> All right. Or I'm trying to see, then this is when you get into was the fawn good or bad? And we'll talk about the ending in just a second. Mm -hmm. Or give the brother back to the dad, the the, the stepfather who has. So either way, she has to sacrifice. Oh, yeah. She's got a. Yes. Of some type. And that's when uh, a clue that everything's happening in her mind. The fawn is not there when the, the stepfather can't see the fawn. Yeah. And so he shoots her. And now our protagonist, the 11 year old girl, star of the film. The woman, the girl we love now, mm-hmm. is dying or dead. Yeah. I think that's my biggest indication that this is not happening. That yeah. it's clearly a figment of her mind. And I think when I first saw it, 
I was playing the game of like, oh, is this real? Is this not real? I don't know. When it got to that, I was like, oh, shit, it's not real. Like, right. I mean, at that point, I don't really know if I was beyond belief that all of a sudden the fawn would pop up and like kill him or like do something. Right. But when nothing came to save her and nothing came to, to save the day, I was like, oh, shit. Okay. But, you know, what it really reminded me of is um, I spent a couple of years working with kids, mm -hmm. and one of them was at a child study center, and we kind of got the, the worst of the worst of the worst kids. And I, I didn't this, see you there. Yeah. <laughs> and I had this one little boy who was so disturbed. I mean, he was so disturbed. And my single goal was to get him not to urinate in the classroom during the school year so he wouldn't get kicked out. You That's know? And he goal. was pretty psychotic at five years of age, which is really hard to process with a little kid. And um, it kind of reminded me of him because he had all these horrible choices, like his father had sexually abused his older brother, and we thought the older brother had abused him, but he was too young to be able to talk about it. And the mom was a mess, and he didn't have a lot of joy in his life. And we used a lot of fantasy to kind of work through. Mm -hmm. And he was really afraid of sirens. And I was working with him at a medical center, so there were ambulances going off all the time. But if he was really, really good, mm -hmm. I took him on elevators because he loved elevators. And there were <laughs> elevators all over the medical center. So I'd be walking around with this little five-year-old towhead kid going up and down <laughs> elevators. And people are going, another one of the psych interns has lost their mind. You know? <laughs> but, um, but that escape to fantasy, that total escape to fantasy when... You don't have a reliable mother. You don't have a father. You have a sadist who's in charge of your life is something that a lot of kids live with, yeah. you know, and, and it's dressed up beautifully in this fantasy tale. But there's a reason why these iconic fairy tales strike us is because they have truth in them. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't I don't think I can add to that to make it any more uh, full than what you said. But no, I, I, I definitely agree. That's just been. And that's why it's painful. That mm -hmm. I think that was maybe why I could never get through this movie, because I would always get to a certain point and be like, <laughs> starting to feel like work here, you know. <laughs> I Does that affect how? Does that affect the way you watch a movie? I mean, you know, but maybe we save that question for the second half because when we talk about your pick. But yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, I've watched. He's disassociating. Shut <laughs> up. Eat the popcorn. Let me watch this. I've 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 seen this film so many times. It's in a, probably in my top ten of like rewatched films, and the most recent time that I saw it. Uh, because I didn't watch it for this episode, so I'll confess that. But um, the last time I saw it was about five and a half years ago. And I it came to Alamo. And I was so excited. And my mom knows that I loved this movie. And I've seen it several times. She's like, oh, you know, you want to go to Alamo? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we go to Alamo. I never make it through this movie without crying. And there are very few films that I can say have successfully like made me cry. I guarantee will always cry at the end of this movie when she Is dies that upon mm -hmm. her death upon her death right and it's just like all of the hope all of the work she put in all of this that she went well, through the idea that she but can she escape. made the ultimate sacrifice she did but it's so sad like i mean yeah that's like climbing everest and and dying a hundred feet before you reach the peak she didn't even yeah. get to the thing she wanted to do but but did she i mean she might have but this last time that i saw it I went to the theater and I was at Alamo and I had my, my bougie popcorn with like the truffle oil oh, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I was sobbing so audibly yeah. that like people were like, I was crying. I was, Someone what, raised the Oro card to get you out of the theater. funny. Like I was just, I was such an emotional wreck. 
And my mom was about to leave town the next day. And she did. She left town. She like went back to Missouri. And something else happened. And then I cried again. And then I found out I was pregnant with um, Aramis, my little uh. one. I was just like, I was like, man, that movie, this movie always makes me cry. I'm going to cry today. But the emotional response <laughs> with that extra boost of hormones resulted in um, almost needing to be committed. I was just Do you sobbing. remember what you were wearing? Um, I mean, because movies that I have really strong emotional responses to, I always remember what I'm wearing. I mean, at that point in my life, I was probably just wearing a black t-shirt because I'm pretty sure it's all I owned as I'm sitting here in a black shirt. (laughs) Um, it's just, it's my signature color. Yeah. (laughs) But did you know this film was actually, um, a huge scandal in Korea? How's that? The poster that they decided to use was very fairy tale. It was very fantastical and all of these things. And all these families rolled up to watch Pan's Labyrinth, the fairy tale, the newest fairy tale of our generation. Which is an anti-totalitarian film. Which is an anti-totalitarian film. And um, so all these people showed up with their kids to watch it. Oh, yeah. And um, that didn't really go Yeah, we talked about that last week with Barbie with the kids. And it was... I haven't seen or listened to that episode yet. It's okay. It it hadn't come out yet. Oh, Oh, okay. That's why. There is such a subversive element to that film, including, you know, uh, jokes that, you know, some parents might not feel are appropriate for a seven to nine year old. And when uh, when we saw Barbie, it was all moms and little girls. And I was curious if the moms would be bothered by some of the jokes. I never got an answer to that question. Okay, so Ophelia gets shot. Yep. Her hand limps over the edge of the labyrinth mm-hmm. the portal and uh, the portal thank you and it was uh we need the blood of an innocent to open it up well she is an innocent and her blood is dripping down and mm-hmm. then the last scene you see is her with her mother who is the queen her biological father who is the king the fawn arrives and now he is a servant of the court and any i guess notion that he was evil or misguiding her earlier mm-hmm. is answered and she takes her seat as the princess that, you know, the fawn told her that she was. Well, and who doesn't want to be a princess, Kaylee, right? I mean, but, but I mean. Except not a dead this princess. This princess is like the princess of the underworld. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I didn't connect it earlier, but when it's kind of refreshing on the film. Oh, my gosh, this beer is making me burp. It's the- I'm burping soy sauce. <sighs> Sorry, I didn't mean to blow that at you. Hopefully my shirt blocked it. It's okay. Um, so- and you named the episode. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Again, um, the she's Princess Moana. Yeah. She's like, I am Moana. Doing that whole shenanigans. You know um, what other movie it reminded me of, though? Was The Book Thief. I don't I know. The Book Thief is set in World War II. I've read. And it's, you know, in a, I think, a German or an Austrian village, and this family hides a guy in the basement, and the girl goes to a mansion to steal books so mm-hmm. that she can read to him. And it's it's, but the book thief is kind of the kinder, gentler <laughs> version of, but you know it's Nazis and mm-hmm. you know, you know hiding people and the resistance and escapism through. Yeah. She reads to him, you know, escapism through reading and. Which is something I think a lot of people do. Okay, I'm going to sound really stupid for a second. How long ago were Nazis? How long ago was that? Like, really? In the I 40s. Know, 40s? Okay, I was like, I just couldn't think of the year to put it to it. Because I'm trying to think, I'm like, what are people going to be writing escapism about 
from that point to this point, from this point to the future, like when they're looking well, back. Well, now they write about the Gulf War. <laughs> yeah. Or 9-11. Or 9-11, yeah. Okay. I was just curious. That was my musing. They'll it, be writing about COVID. Oh my gosh. It's already happening and I'm Pan, over it. I can't wait to learn about COVID in hindsight. Oh my gosh. Pan's Labyrinth is totally an anti-war, anti-totalitarian, anti-fascist essay. And it's mm-hmm. so beautifully made. And I was so glad that you brought it to the table. I'm and it is one of my favorite movies. It is one of my favorites. And now I like it. Even though I had a hard time getting through it. I just want to say her name, Maribel Verdu, as Mercedes, the housekeeper. Uh She in Itumama Tambien. She is just the sexiest woman ever put on film. Sexiest woman ever put on film. I don't know this. Oh, Oh my God. If that interests you, get in there. And one of the guys played Che. Gamera in the chain movie. Fantastic movie. All right, turning point. Let's start there. The barrel aged out. What we did, I I felt it on, I smelt it on the nose as well. Mm -hmm. Kind of a soy saucy, very sweet. Soy saucy. Soy saucy. Soy saucy. Nose. But that did not come through on the flavor for me at all. I enjoyed that beer very, very much. And a 14.2, I can already kind of feel my pulse, you know, rising. I'm turning a little flush. Yeah, I had two and I can, I can feel that it's, there. Well, um, I'm Irish. I'll never say no to a stout. <laughs> I used to give Guinness to pregnant mothers and people in nursing homes. Yeah. Guinness is good for you. It is. And, and when I say soy sauce, it's not a negative nose. I mean, no, it's, it's just an observation. It's kind of sweet. And I was concerned. Is what but it is. The, the sweetness yeah. of the of those barrels. I mean, it's, it's all. I think it's from the bourbon. But I think it's a com- it's it's yeah. like there's a complexity to the sweetness to it. It's not just like here's Sugar. candy. This is sweet. Right. It's like. Mm. Okay, now this second beer, Turning Points, I'm sorry, Ingenious's Cookies and Cream Imperial Milk Scout Stout, you expect it maybe to be sweet because they loaded it up with Oreo cookies mm-hmm. when they made the beer. It's yeah, also they- a milk stout. They added that lactose to give it the mouthfeel of a kind of a, you know, a milkier, creamier texture. For the open-minded. What did you think? <laughs> what did you think of this one? Well, I don't even like Oreos, and it's kind of good. <laughs> and I love the fact that there is a brain on the can. Yeah, I mean, it's Ingenious's logo. I love that. We're a big Ingenious podcast. I mean, like I said, they're you're, the you're most you're ingenious. the most visited brewery on the show at fifteen times. Damn. Yeah, yeah. We like we like this place. I'm still unpacking my work office, and I have boxes full of brains that people have given me over the years Man. it's like what do i do with all these? you give them to kaylee diaz <laughs> you call me and i come and i pick them up as i am making all of my weird crafts at my house i like this the one the brain line the brain line yes it was a rough transition for me it kind of was from the soy sauce to the sweet cookie mm-hmm. i feel like there is this feels some, like dessert it does i and this does have a thicker um a thicker mouthfeel. Yep. Sorry. I didn't. Well, it's better than saying swallow. So, um, the first one was very, it was soy sauce kind of in smell, but also in like texture. Okay. Um, so it felt very thin. Yeah. So, um, it did not pour like motor oil, that, uh, turning point barrel aged. Yeah. So it did, it didn't do that. So, um, this is good. I like this. I like it better now that I've had a few drinks and I'm not transitioning from one to the other. Sure. And I think on its own, um, I would enjoy each of these, but I will probably never drink one back to back um, you put, next to each other. You know what this would be good on? If you had a cup of coffee okay. with a scoop of ice cream I'm in listening. it and you poured it over the top yeah. like a fagata. Mm. Just saying. I love a good fagata. 
I really do. I don't know what that is. It's it's exactly as she explained. Coffee with ice cream with espresso, Damn. typically yeah. with gelato, miss- maybe, and then Frangelica, perhaps. Okay. And you, oh, it's so good. I've used that to make chocolate cake you shots. You make before. a slurpee out of the whole thing. Same thing. So good. God Putting these together, I don't want to disservice one or the other because they are so different. But, you know, when you look at an Oreo cookie on the can art of the thing and it's the cookies and cream style, you know, you're getting into a gimmick. We're going to load this. We did that. We did it a couple weeks ago when they put gummy worms or whatever, gummy Sour Patch Kids into the beer. Okay, we're gimmicking now. I like this very much, but it is one of those sweet, sweet, sweet imperial styles. This is ten uh, percent that you have one. Uh, you're one and done on yeah. this thing. You can't drink a couple of these where you might knock back a couple of Guinnesses. But that first one, the turning point, I think is a more well-rounded beer. There's no gimmick there. I mean, outside of the barrel age, but yeah. they're both they were both great. Uh, they're both great, and I would recommend both. Yeah. On the back of the ingenious can, it says, "Just don't shotgun it." Why do they keep telling me not to shotguns? I don't know, but I've got this much left. Shall Mike. we go? Shall we tip it? <sighs> Let's just do All right, it. Come on. <sighs> live to tell the tale. Okay. I'm a burp again for sure. What is one of you know what I love about drinking Guinness <laughs> in Ireland? Is it costs the same throughout the entire country because they have price controls on Guinness. And it's like this is how it should be. I thought you were going to just say being in Ireland, but I mean, well, anyway, yeah, well, really, there's that. You know the best thing about drinking Guinness in Ireland? Being in Ireland. I'm in Ireland. <laughs> I'm at my local. So I, I asked Pam what was one of her favorite movies, and we'll learn what that was after the break. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. I, I need some water. <laughs> oh, my skirt up anywhere else it requires me to wear one certainly not at the beach certainly not at the beach welcome back everybody (laughs) and we're back last week with oppenheimer we enjoyed belgium's de dole breweries xl pale ale and it was great we all agreed that it was wonderful we're headed back to de dole with their dual tev which in belgium which translates into english as mad bitch triple I mean, so this is a hard out. turn. This is a hard turn that we're taking from those stouts into a, a Belgian triple. Mm-hmm. You know that the name triple was generally used for the strongest beer in a monastery's repertoire? The story goes that barrels were traditionally marked with X's to signify their strength. So three X's would be for the Abbey's triple. Generally, a lineup of Trappist beers would consist of a few styles, a single, a double, and a triple. So that's why all of the cartoon bottles have three X's on them. I think that you're right. Oh, but why does it have Prince on the label? Pr- Prince, the artist from Minnesota? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just making bitches mad everywhere. Oh, why? Oh, you're right. Okay, I'm looking now at the can art. I didn't understand the bottle art, rather, what, what you meant there. It um, looks like Prince, right? And it's purple. It looks like Beavis. <laughs> if Beavis had sex appeal. <laughs> Triples are strong golden... Ales around 9% ABV. This one's 10%. They, they get their flavors from a warmer fermentation with Belgian yeast, and you can expect some, we should be able to expect some citrus notes, some subdued banana, floral hops. We'll see how this goes. But subdued we're moving banana. from the darker beers to the lighter beers, but I think that our palates are probably wrecked, so it'll take a couple sips to get where you're going to go. Yeah, I'm going to wait and finish my first beer. Oh, okay. yeah, very, very floral. Very floral on okay. the nose. 
Okay, mad bitch. I've been called that before. Well, we're we're in good company. Hey. Now, why would we have a beer called Mad Bitch? You know, Pam. No, hold on. Let me finish that thought. <laughs> I, I asked you what your favorite. Why did he leap to that? I asked you what one of your favorite movies was, and you came up with, and I was so happy you did because it's also one of my favorite movies. One flew over the cuckoo's nest from 1975. This is based on the 1962 novel by Ken Kesey. That novel's called by Time Magazine as one of the best novels of the 20th century. I have not read the novel, but I imagine, Pam, that you have. I have, and I actually, I don't believe it's Kesey's best novel. I think he is a great unsung American author. I think uh, sometimes a great notion is his, it is an absolute stunning American novel and rivals anything. What's it called? Sometimes a great notion. Okay. Ken Kesey is a really interesting character because he was the big lead in the psychedelic movement in the 60s. Actually, there's a book written about him called The Electric Acid Kool-Aid Test, which was written by, um, oh, the same guy who did um, Tom, 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 the guy who always wears the white suits. He wrote the right stuff. Yeah, hold on. Give me um, a second. I have no idea. People I'm not at home are upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Nobody's upset. They're not judging you. They're not uh, even looking. I'll look it up. So Ken Kesey is uh, working in a psych ward at a VA in Tel- Tom Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf. Hmm. Who also has... People might be upset then. Yeah. Because I do know that name. Ken Kesey is working in a veteran's hospital. <laughs> Wait, what's his name again? Ken Kesey. You're thinking Tom Wolf, though. No, I was thinking Kink Easy. Yeah, you said Kinky. Ken- you said and Kinky. I was like, damn, girl. Yeah. So um, Ken Kesey works in the Palo Alto VA, which I one time got offered a job at. Uh, my life might have been different if I'd taken that job. And he's working as an uh, aide on a psychiatric ward, and he participates in the Army studies on LSD. <laughs> so he's taking pharmaceutical grade LSD, working as a psychiatric aide, and he writes One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's set in 1962-63. It came out in the 70s. What a lot of people don't understand about, I mean, there's mental health, and there's sort of like normal mental illness, and then there's like abnormal mental illness, which are things that we understand now are brain-based illnesses that are much more difficult to treat than anxiety or depression or the compulsiveness that everybody's into these days. So this book is based on his observations of that, and in many ways, it's extraordinarily realistic because... In 1962-63, psychiatric drugs had just been discovered. They were discovered in the late 50s in France, like many drugs in the old days. When you had a new drug that you wanted to try out to see if anybody would benefit from it, you either gave it to prisoners or psychiatric patients. So chlorpromazine, which is the original psychiatric drug, which most people would know as Thorazine, is invented in France, and they go down to the local psychiatric hospital because in those days, if you were seriously mentally ill, you were hospitalized. That was it. There was no ifs, ands, or but about it. If you had schizophrenia, if you had what we now call bipolar, which was manic depression, if you had autism, if you were cognitively disabled, which we used to call mentally retarded, You were institutionalized for your entire life. That was the state of mental health because there there was nothing. And the families wanted to get rid of the problem. Well, the families didn't know. 
I mean, there was, you know, people, people didn't know about mental health. You know, yeah. I mean, there was, there was no mental health. Everyone was normal. This person's abnormal. No, I mean, psychiatry was psychoanalysis, which was, you know, come in five days a week for 20 years and pay me a shit ton of money and you'll still be fucked up. Sorry. I guess I should watch it. very like Stonehurst Asylum. Like everybody's yeah. fucked You're retired, up. Pam. Use all, yeah, yeah. use whatever language you want. So we're drinking, girl. It's fine. <laughs> so they take this drug down to the mental hospital and they give it to people. And all of a sudden, people with schizophrenia, who are people with delusions and hallucinations and thought disorders, all of a sudden become symptom-free for the first time ever in the history of man. Okay. And they're like, this is great. We yeah. can let millions of people out of institutions and put them back in the community. If they take this medicine. If they take this medicine. And actually, in the U.S., it started right under John F. Kennedy and later Lyndon Johnson under the his Great Society stuff. They created community mental health centers, which were meant to replace these old-style institutions, which were feral and awful and ridiculous and allow people the dignity of living in the community and putting the dollars back into the community, too. Instead That's of the important part, right? Into the institutions. And actually, my first job in mental health was doing just that. I was taking people out of institutions and putting them in the community. So I spent 10 years of my life working with people with schizophrenia every single day of my life. And you were, they were being medicated and released? They were being medicated and released. And my job as a psychiatric social worker was to make sure they saw their psychiatrist, make sure they took their medication, uh, budgeting their money, make sure they had cigarettes, health care. If I had to scrub their toilet, I did it. I took them grocery shopping. If, if you break their cigarette in half, does it become a nickel? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, this is a dime. And, this and, is shit. And in the <laughs> early days, that meant everybody smoked in my office, which was how I actually sort of started smoking for a while. Because when you're sitting in your office for eight hours and people are chain smoking, you know, it's like, come on, give me a cigarette. Man, you know, I wish my doctors would let me. I mean, I don't smoke anymore, but mm. like I probably actually would have gone to one if I could have smoked um, in the so office. So that's part of the reason why I like this doctor movie. doctor said they were good for you. This movie lucky was shirt. on the precipice of that change. And the one thing that's probably very unrealistic about the movie is the fact that they're all medicated because I had a friend who was a psychiatric nurse. She was one of my first supervisors and she worked at Elgin, which was the big warehouse psychiatric facility outside of Chicago. And she said they used to keep Thorazine and giant bowls on the counter. Like and condoms that a gave Hand it out, you know? I mean, it's like, if somebody's upset, give them some Thorazine, you know? But the physical restraints in the movie and those sorts of things, those things are still used today in mental health. And so uh, my first job out of college was working in a community mental health center, and I was an outpatient social worker. And so my job was to drive over this massive three-county area and visit people like the people in the film in their homes to make sure they were okay. And let me tell you, when you're 22 years old and you're knocking on the door of somebody who's seriously mentally ill, you never know what you're going to find on the other side of that door. That described and, dating um, for me when yeah, I was 22. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like dating with apps now. That's not, you don't look like that. I saw your picture. All right, let me read this synopsis mm -hmm. and then I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Kaylee. When Randall Patrick McMurphy, Jack Nicholson, gets transferred for evaluation from a prison farm to a mental institution, he assumes it will be a less restrictive environment. But Nurse Ratched, 
Louise Fletcher, runs the psychiatric ward with an iron fist, keeping her patients cowed through abuse, medication, and sessions of electroconvulsive therapy. The battle of wills between the rebellious McMurphy and the inflexible Ratched soon affects all the ward's patients. This is considered by many to be one of the greatest films ever made. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is number 33 on AFI, the American Film Institute's 100 Best Movies list. It was the second film of all time to win all five major Academy Awards, picture, actor, actress, director, screenplay. Following It Happened One Night in 1934, an accomplishment not repeated until 1991 with Silence of the Lambs. Oh, and that cast of patients, he finds oh himself God. in a, he finds himself oh in a ward where they do group therapy, and this is a young, anxious, stuttering Billy Bibbit, played by Brad Dourif, aka Chucky, Charlie Cheswick, who is prone to temper tantrums, delusional, childlike Martini, played by Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. Thank you. And it took me to realize that. I was I was God Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, the articulate, repressed homosexual Dale Harding. Played by William Redfield, who was a big stage actor at the time. Uh, uh, Belligerent and profane Max Tabor, like you say, played by Christopher Lloyd, a.k.a. Doc Brown. And Chief. Yeah, Chief. uh, Who was a big, big as a goddamn tree trunk. uh, Played (laughs) by uh, a Native American, played by Will Sampson. And then several others, of course, on the ward with chronic conditions. So Pam, I think we delved into it a little bit already. Why is this one of your favorite movies? I think one of the reasons why I really like this movie is not so much because of its portrayal of psychiatric stuff, although there are there are so many hidden elements in this movie that if you had never worked in mental health, you wouldn't understand. Like, you know the, the scene with the baths? Yeah. That yeah, wasn't right. about bathing. Before psychiatric medication, if you were an out-of-control, and when people are psychotic... They have an almost inhuman strength. Like sometimes uh, when I was working in this mental health center, we had this overhead uh, PA system. It was like the Mayberry RFD of mental health. We were in this little tiny little town servicing this three county area because of how the federal government had set it up. And they'd say, you know, patient on the lock ward needs restraint. (laughs) Everybody would run. And of course, being who I am, I always had a key. I had a key to everything, <laughs> including the lock ward, which I surrendered after a patient picked me up by my belt loops and suspended me in the air. <laughs> so I'm just saying that. Oh, my gosh. Um, but what, what, um, year, what year was all this going down? This would, would have been late 70s, okay. early 80s. And so you would run up to the psychiatric ward and you might have 12 people rushing in because when people were detained that were psychotic, usually detained by the police, brought to the psychiatric hospital, they didn't medicate them because they were under evaluation and it was going to go to court. And they only medicated them if they were really outrageous. And so you might come in and have somebody who was just completely out of control. And it might take anywhere from 12 to 14 people to humanely restrain them without hurting them. You know, and until you have bodily wrestled somebody onto a psychiatric bed and put sheepskin lined leather bolted restraints on them. You don't understand what it is. The only part of that that I haven't done was a psychiatric bed. (laughs) Like, hey, hey. Do do you prefer sheepskin? sheepskin. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm so sorry, husband. Yeah, I'm joking. (laughs) And um, it's scary. 
Yeah. And, you know, so I'd be out in the community visiting people and, you know, I might come and see somebody and they might open their door naked, brandishing a broken stick, trying to kill me. And I'd be on the the phone to the police saying, you know, I need backup because we need to involuntarily commit somebody. So that's what I used to do. I used to take people and put them in the hospital. Uh, Dang, sounds like you got a lot of enemies. That's what uh, I'm well, so, so the answer to the question then, because at the beginning of your answer, you said it's not just because it is a picture of 1975 mental health facilities. But at the same time, I'm hearing you say there's a lot of truth in this movie. There is a lot of truth, but I think the overarching truth is about social control. Because one of the things that I used to tell my students when I was teaching was that psychology and psychiatry are socially prescribed mechanisms of control. Mm -hmm. And that if you're uncomfortable with the idea of forcibly controlling bad behavior, since the like 50% of people who work in mental health work for the government, then you should not be in this business because you will have to make choices about people's behavior and their dangerousness that will make you uncomfortable. What I like so much about this movie is that we're introduced to most, if not all, of the goings-on of the institution through McMurphy's point of view. So when he sits down in the group for the first time, it, it's his first time. It's our first time. That's where we meet the cast of characters. That's where we meet Nurse Ratched. When he begins to see Nurse, Nurse Ratched's techniques for the first time, we're seeing them for the first time. Even to the electroshock therapy scene where he doesn't know what's about to happen to him. Right. And, and we don't know what's about to happen to him. All we know is we see Ch Cheswick, right, go in agitated and come out comatose. We're just as surprised as Jack Nicholson or McMurphy as we take the journey as he is. The chief can talk. We, we learn that along <laughs> with him. Uh, a, a majority of the fellow patients are there voluntarily. What? We yep. learn that along with him. And that's yeah, what that I like so, so much about this movie. Yeah, I didn't like the group therapy scene so much because it wasn't very therapeutic. But but that was Nurse Ratched's technique. Yeah, but but to go back, the original point I was going to try to make was about the bath. Remember how they'd all kind of mm -hmm. congregate right, in right, the bath? Right, right, right. Well, before there were psychiatric drugs, if you were psychotic, and I mean, I have seen psychotic people tear the plaster off walls. I had a patient once who we had, we sent the cops out to the farm because we knew he was psychotic. And how did we know he was psychotic? Because he would come in my office and he would sit in the corner and he was about six foot five and weighed 250 pounds. And he would say the C word over and over and over it's again. It was like, words. he's like, oh, Glenn, not feeling well. Right. And we sent the cops out to the farm and, and they clipped him to the bumper of the cop car. Mm -hmm. And he promptly ripped it off and went running through the field, handcuffed to the bumper of the cop car. <gasps> <laughs> okay, yes. before we go too far, can we put this as a note for after hours? Because I'm going off on the C word. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. I just I'm just going to write the C well, word down. Well, I was down. just waiting yeah, for all after the letters. hours. Yeah. But, I mean, can you imagine being like 24 years old, yes. little psychology major, yes. sitting in your office with no. a six foot five guy who weighs 250 pounds, sitting in the corner, whispering it over and over again, going, you know, they didn't teach me how to deal with it. Right. Right. My goodness. But the I didn't hear the C word one time at Baylor. Yeah, well, yeah, that was Baylor. 
<laughs> but <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh so much. I'm sorry. They don't say the c word at Baylor. You, you write it. It's a it's we in the contract. We were at Baylor at the same time. Yeah, we figured oh, this except out. Except I was in the grad program. Right. Oh, and I, and I was at a frat party. I I dropped out of online college, guys. I don't know. <laughs> but that bathroom was not about taking baths. Before psychiatric drugs, if you were psychotic, they would wind you up in sheets and they would stick you in baths full of ice until you just basically, they would dunk you and bring you out and dunk you and bring you out and dunk you and bring you out until you gave up. It's like waterboarding. Yeah. It was like psychiatric waterboarding. And, you know, the ECT scene with him. You know, in the old days, the ECT people were like the traveling... Um, Wait, what's ECT? Electroconvulsive therapy, okay, shock therapy. Want, you know, I'm just making sure that the people listening understand. Oh, I, I knew, knew what it was. was. Yeah, I knew what it was. Yeah. Well, remember, you know, there's... I'm down with OBT. You yeah. know, there's there's like maybe two psychiatric drugs now. And electroconvulsive therapy, you know, they used to throw so much electricity at people that it was amazing and, you know, nowadays it's much more sophisticated. And actually, there are some really legitimate uses for it. Like if you're pregnant and depressed, ECT is safer than antidepressants. What? Yeah. That is, that um, is not true. It is what? totally true. I mean, if if you were pregnant and going to kill yourself, ECT would be a better option because it works like that. Oh it works like that. Gosh. It's almost instantaneous. It's like be, it's like smacking the dog and when they, they take the but food off the they table. only give it to one lobe now, and they only, they give you Valium, and you know, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. But when, right. when McMurphy back. when McMurphy's get getting what, it, he's getting the full yeah. load. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm right? back on board. <laughs> and remember, at the end, he's been lobotomized. Oh, yeah. Right. And the lobotomy that McMurphy has is the old lobotomy. Now, let me tell you how the lobotomy was invented. Please do. So there's a neurology conference, and there's a Spanish doctor there, and they're talking about rhesus monkeys, and Wait, they say... What year is this? I just have to put this in context with the Spanish Civil War from our yeah, first... Yeah, probably, <laughs> you know, late 50s, early 60s. Okay, so, I mean, and, 10 years. And they say, you know, when we take cores of brain matter out of rhesus monkeys, they become docile. And he's like, well, that could work on humans, because we have no psychiatric drugs, Right. Who the fuck is just chopping up monkey brains? And and so he science, he, science Kelly. <laughs> well, they used to to understand the brain. They used to no, pe- I know they I... used to peel off parts of the brain at a time to see like a deli what dysfunction. Yes, <laughs> and so this the wrestler this Spanish half a pound of brain on one <laughs> physician says, well, if it can make monkeys quiet, it can make people quiet. <laughs> And so McMurphy gets the old style lobotomy where they we see two scars on the top of his forehead. They would the skull and take a core of brain matter out. Now they discontinued that pretty quickly because whenever you penetrate the skull, there's issues with infection and yada yada yada. And the the lobotomy that was practiced, like ECT and like execution, they had traveling lobotomists, traveling executionists, traveling ECT people is they would take a long needle and they would stick it up above your eyeball. And there's a very thin layer right here where you can penetrate the skull and they would basically take this knitting needle and go swish, 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 frontal lobotomy. Did they at least credit the Egyptians for that? Because no. I, I, I just remember the first time ever hearing about lobotomies. I'm like, oh, so it's like an Egyptian thing, right? Like not I mean, just because that's how they would mummify people. They'd stick something up their nose and they'd scramble the brains and they'd pull them out. I'm like, 
Oh, but through the eye. Okay. And now and I'm scared of every orifice in my face. I'm like, how yeah. are you going to try well, to take my brain know, out? Actually, you, if you had a bad sinus infection, no, it could girl. penetrate your brain. Yeah. That's why like I, I won't use a neti pot. <laughs> but, but I mean, the old lobotomy, I mean, it was like they basically said, and the, the understanding of the brain was very poor at the time. They basically disconnected the person's frontal lobe, which is where all the richness of life comes from. It's where all our observing self comes from. It's where all our judgment and planning and problem solving and richness comes from. And they just disconnected it. So literally the best and the worst parts of a person are in that frontal lobe. Which is why the chief had to do what he did. I mean... (sighs) It's why the... I don't know if he had to do it, but it's why he did it. Did it. Like, I have met this man, McMurphy. He is the only one that I have revealed that I am not deaf and dumb and that I can actually speak and think and, you know, and and he and I hatched a plan together to leave. Mm -hmm. And if this is my friend, the condition he will be in, in this place he does not want to be, then let me euthanize him. And it's so... It's powerful, lovely, and yes. horrible, uh, because even though his he's not there with us any longer mentally, mm-hmm. at least that's what's presented on film. I don't know if that's exactly what that frontal double double lobotomy because they had there were two scars, so they did two. And that areas. was the old lobotomy, right? The old lobotomy. I prefer the new lobotomy. Well, speaking but, of, but go ahead. The other but thing, but he, him struggling. Yeah, his body reacts to the idea that I am being suffocated, and then he's dead, and then the chief escapes. Well, that was his old brain. But but the reason why that's so powerful for me is when we were going out and doing this and, and taking these people who had been institutionalized for 30 or 40 years, and they were, they were like babies. They had no skills. They couldn't navigate the world. And we were like their super ego. We were taking care of them. Is that... I kind of lost that thought there for a second. High ABV beer today. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm... Fi- I'm fi- <laughs> it's hard to describe how tender that was yeah. when you're taking care of people who are so damaged mm-hmm. and you have this incredibly intimate relationship with them. But it's also very powerful because, I mean, I could literally sort of snap my fingers and institutionalize these people. It's a lot and of power. You can be drunk lot. on power and leave these high. Well, and there years. are a lot of people who are. Watch out, and, Kaylee, you're next. And I think <laughs> My biggest issue with the film is the portrayal of Nurse Ratchet because if you go to the AFI top 10 villains and heroes mm-hmm. thing, and one of my colleagues and I actually did a presentation on this at a, a conference on pop- popular culture, is Nurse Ratchet is fifth on the villain list. Right. And like five or six of the villains are women. And, you know, the number one villain is. The Wicked Witch of the West. Well, who doesn't like her? She's green and she's shitty, you know? But all the other women are like Nurse Ratched, Alex from, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're all committing interpersonal crimes as opposed to... Like serial killers. or World domination. And, you know, <laughs> contrast her sins to the captain in Pan's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. who's clearly a fascist asshole. Right. Psychotic. And it's like... Well, it's okay. He's a fascist, psychotic asshole, but he's a guy, so it's okay. But, you know, have a woman Mm -hmm. who's trying to maintain order in probably an impossible situation and an impossible job. Okay. And I knew people like her. Yeah. I knew people like her. But but she's... Okay. I I have a question (laughs) written down here. Nurse Ratched. I'm going to write my Just doing her job or evil villain is the question that I literally wrote down. 
as a, we just did Barbie last week. So as a, a man who, who's in, in control of the world, I do see her as an evil villain. And if you had put a male actor there, it would be just the same thing. She is not. withholding. Well, she is Luckily, manipulating the situation. There is an entire series for that. What's that? Did you not see Ratchet? But yes, I, I know that She's it exists and the actress I admire. Yes. But I have not watched the, an episode of that. So I came into this film, and I'm so sorry to cut you off. You can finish your thought. No, if you want. I, can but, I mean, that was the question. Is she a villain um, or is she just doing her job? Is so, she the worst villain in the world, though? She's so bad when she, what she does to, okay, so Billy, who clearly has a dominating mother who has placed them in this facility. Yes, yes, yes. That's bad. That's bad. I'm That's friends bad. with your mother. You know, yeah, no, right. What's your mother going to say about this? And also giving bits of his diagnoses to the whole group that she shouldn't mm. do. And, of course, him going and committing suicide, well, which all we could have maybe even suggested because he's had so many suicide attempts prior to now. Yeah. That that could occur. No wonder Jack Nicholson tries to strangle Okay. Her. Well, and, and she's not realistic in that sense. And let me be. Yeah, no, go ahead. ahead. I'm going to write me say I got a bunch of thoughts. One more thing for you. So in this little Mayberry RFD of rural mental health that I worked in where everybody knew each other and we knew all the psychiatric patients in a three-county area and yada, 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 we had a locked unit and an open unit. And in the locked unit, when people were there for observation or commitment or whatever, they had restrictions. And um, we had a couple of nurses. We had one guy who was a Vietnam vet that I worked with for a long time who was super nice. And we had this other woman who was a little nurse ratchety. And then the woman. She was Ratchet AF, girl. And then there was the woman who was my first real mentor um, who ran the psychiatric unit. And when they were in the locked unit, they couldn't smoke. And if you know most psychiatric patients that are, you know, really mentally ill, they want to smoke and they couldn't smoke because they were in under, you know, a 72 hour hold and they couldn't leave the building because of issues. And. There was one guy who wanted to smoke and all the furniture in the locked ward was super heavy because you don't want people breaking stuff. This one particular female nurse kept on refusing this guy a cigarette, cigarette, refusing it. And finally, he picked up the wooden picnic table that was in the locked ward and threw it through the glass partition of the nurse's station. And they called my friend Gert, who's my original female mentor, and Gert's work wife. Yeah, my work wife. And Gert's like, well, why didn't you give him a cigarette? <laughs> you know, I'm and I mean, there was that dichotomy in mental health. It was like, how strict do I need to be? You know how it's it's a hard place to work if you're working with people who are psychotic. But see, the thing about it is with the majority of the patients being there voluntarily, as McMurphy learns. What do you think? You're all crazy. Y'all aren't crazy. You're no crazier than anyone walking out on the street right now, you know. There's no reason why she shouldn't have turned on that fucking World Series game. There's no reason why she shouldn't have. That was about control. I mean, of course, yeah, it was, was about, about control. control. But, like, I, I came in. But it doesn't make her number five on the AFI list of. <laughs> She's just villains. so mean to these okay. people that are there for her help. It's, I don't like it. I've never seen this film before. And oh, is I, that right? So I know that, like, I have, like, a very specific problem in my life that I've not seen or read some of the things that are I'm, maybe apparently. Um, assumed that I've seen or read, and I don't know if that's just like what people assume about me or if everybody's seen them. I haven't actually seen this before, not in a not in a capacity in which I was sitting down and paying attention right. and watching it. Um, my first thought was that McMurphy is 
a hundred percent Frank Gallagher from Shameless. Um, have you seen that? Yeah, I have had. It's also a hundred percent antisocial personality disorder. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm not saying Frank Gallagher doesn't have. Which, that. which one's Frank Gallagher? Uh, he's the dad. Okay. Got so it. he's got like it. always running a con. He's always like getting getting what he antisocial. wants, getting what he needs. And, you know, like, he pretends to have these illnesses or these disabilities. And I'm like, bro. Whatever it takes to get ahead. I was like, what's this Gallagher doing in this movie? Yeah. Um, second, I need a grippy sock vacation. Uh, my kids are driving me nuts. So sometimes I'm like, oh, man, they have a pool? <laughs> they get outside time. All right. They get to like, what? They're actually, the very first group meeting, they're like arguing about something. I want to say it was the first group meeting. Yeah. Um, that was the one where... Um, he was talking about his inability to please his wife. And, yes. Yeah. But they ended up just like shouting at each other. Right. And then they're all actually shouting about like the same thing. It's like, I know, I told you. And I was like, God, this is every conversation I have with my five-year-old right now. And that Jesus. would have never happened in a legitimate group. Well, and, and, and I was wondering because, you know, with the advances of, of medicine and, and treatment and everything like that, I was wondering how much was accurate and how much wasn't. Because, like, I mean, you even look at parenting now. You have gentle parenting. Do I spank my kid? Do I not? Am, do, am I mean to my patients? Am I not? Is it tough love? Is it medical practice? So, like, I had all these questions. But one of them was definitely, when did HIPAA come around? Oh, HIPAA is very late. HIPAA doesn't come around until digital records come okay. around. Okay. And I, and I assumed it was fairly recent. And you know what started HIPAA? Is, Lawsuits. You know, I have several friends who are medical coders who are the people who look at your chart when you go to the doctor and decide how to bill you. And a guy was at a medical coders conference mm -hmm. and they were showing examples of records to code and it was his record. Oh. And he said, that's my record. That's how we got HIPAA. Huh. Yikes. It's all about electronics. Wow. Well, why did you bring it up? Well, I was curious because when Ratchet is starting to like divulge information about his oh, yeah, that's just completely and and things like that. So I mean, and it was just one of those Villainous. instantly like in my in my modern brain, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> that bitch is gonna get a HIPAA violation, right? Um, obviously that wasn't the case. You know, when I started working at this mental health center, and I was this completely naive 22 year old, you know, as you should have been at 22. Yeah, and I don't believe, discount. Yourself. I believe my pay was seven thousand dollars a year and that was with a college <laughs> hey, degree. it's more than i i quit my job girl that's and, more than i'm making um, what year was that uh 1979 and i'm listening to them talk about this patient and i'm thinking i've heard that name before why have i heard that name before as you twirl your hair like mischievously yeah, and i'm like oh i think i'm related to the worst psychiatric <laughs> patient at the entire <laughs> facility so i call my aunt who was the arbiter of all things familial arbiter. on the, the Irish Catholic side. And I said, are we related to these people? And she's like, oh, yeah, but I haven't seen them since Sorry. since his father tried to stab the mother when they got in an argument in a bar. And I'm like, what? cousins. That sounds like my hometown. I, I kept that secret for 10 years. Oh, my gosh. Like, Nobody has to know. I would never have kept that secret. $7,000 in 1979 is $30,000 today. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Yikes but, um, on bikes. Well, okay, so I came in. I came into the film, hadn't seen it. Um, it is one of my favorite GIFs, I will say, and I believe you pronounce it GIFs, which is wrong, and I just want to let you know. Mm -hmm. But um, you. it's it one of my favorite. GIFs? It's GIFs. GIFs. If yeah. Jod came down from the sky and told me it was GIFs, I would be like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what I stole that from, but no, it's you GIFs. You say Joe to hell. <laughs> Joe to hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
It's I, pronounced GIF, not GIF, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. Well, uh, Oxford can fuck off. But, um, no, so it's one of my favorite GIFs is when he's doing, like, the little bashful, like, oh, mm-hmm. like, and touching his face. Like, I don't know why that's my favorite, but that's my favorite. So now I've seen the movie. That's great. But I had seen Nurse Ratched. I watched that because the series. It, the series. Um, and then quickly discovered that I don't remember it because I went into it with kind of some like preconceived, this is how I feel about this person. Who is this person? Was this person in that, in that series? I don't know if she's really the bad guy too much because I feel like, and, and this isn't going to be like a super like sexism thing, but I feel like men and women can make the same decisions, especially professionally, and they get very different reactions from people I'm, because I'm with you. I, I just came out of a very male dominated workforce. Um, the job that I worked, there were two of us were female on my team. All of the people I was in sales, all of the people I was selling to were men. Anytime I had a female that was making decisions, her decision maker that she had presented to was still male. So I, I would, Absolutely. Like you worked I, in academia because you've just described <laughs> But I, I would remember, I, I remember I would go and talk to someone because I worked in safety. So we're talking about like OSHA violations, things like that. Like I would come in and say like, hey, this is the problem. Here's how I can fix it for you. And I would just immediately be disregarded. Whatever. This girl's coming into our shop. Her nails are done. Her hair's done. It didn't happen often, but occasionally it did. And I would just be just completely disregarded instantaneously. So I had a relationship with one of my bosses and there were times where I'm like, look, I did a good job presenting this. Like I did a good job, but they need to hear from somebody with a penis. Can you call him? Right. And oh my gosh, called him. Oh yeah, man. That sounds like a great idea. We'll buy that. Mm-hmm. They all have that accent. Yeah, they mm-hmm. do. Cause they're from Texas. Right. And um, I guess that's how Texans sound now. Put it on the record. So when I, when I think about like men making decisions, women making decisions, yeah, sometimes be as like the caregiving, loving stereotype that isn't always present, but like enough, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know if, if she's really as awful or would she be like a stern, firm handed man? Did she think he was, uh, I think she's a, Pam, I think she's slap a me on the hand anyway, if you need but, to. Did she think he's crazy and needed that institutionalized, uh, institutionalization? There is a very compelling scene mm-hmm. where all of the men. No, she wants to punish him. Who are doctors. Yeah. Are like, let's kick the can down the road. And then she makes the, she makes the point of if we, we, if we just kick the can down the road, I won't be able to lobotomize him someday. I mean, the woman's feeling us. All right. I think I, mean, I think it's almost as I think it's almost as much. But do you know where the word villain comes from? Is it? I got nothing. Villain, vil, vile, vile, vagina. Exactly. Okay, that was a leaf. But <laughs> I don't know. It's a V word. I don't know what Latin is for that. Um, villain comes from the word. You know, when when we were all serfs working for the overlord, that was a villain. You were a villain. You owed him your allegiance and. If you absconded for whatever reason, you know, one of the interesting things about COVID that people never talk about is when the Black Plague hit in the 1500s, um, it was the rise of the working class because so many people got killed. There was nobody to work the land for the overlords. So all of a sudden people could command wages and they became independent. And so a villain was somebody who worked the land for somebody else. Villa, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that makes more sense than vagina. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um David's going to be so mad. He's going to be like, this is what you guys do when I'm gone. But you know, my issue with her is yes, she's bad. 
And yes, she's controlling. And yes, she's doing all of those things. But she is not as bad as the guy in Pan's Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. And yet she's the second out of... Go go to the American Film Institute and it's like... But how much of that list is about movies that more people have seen? I mean, this Yeah, but there's way more women villains. I mean, the the men villains are like Darth Vader, world domination. And there's this interpersonal quality to how we perceive women in a negative way that I think keeps on coming up in ways that, and, and, you know, that's why McMurphy wants to kill her and, and she's terrible. And by the way, the guy who plays that character that, that uh, kills himself. You mean Grima Wormtongue? Yeah. From Lord of the Rings? From Lord of the Rings. He's also in Dune and he's also the the physician, physician in Deadwood. Yeah. I haven't seen Deadwood. Okay, I want to talk oh my god, about, he's about, so fantastic! Oh my, it, 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 oh my gosh! Hey, we're women, we're villains. I know. Hey, so I'm trying to Deadwood is my we're version of Pan's Labyrinth. I keep trying to, I keep trying, and I can't get through it. But I will do it because you got through Pan's Labyrinth. But I mean, it's like, <laughs> why does a woman be, have to become a villain because she's controlling and she has a vagina? You know, no, why can't she just be a villain because she's an asshole? I didn't hey, think about Nurse Ratched's vagina one time during this movie, by the way. I mean, yeah. that, you obviously haven't seen the series. But um, I think I think a lot of it is because she really is the equal and opposite of the female stereotype. She's not caring. She's not nurturing. She's not these She's got things. devil horn well, hairdo. Now, she might be yeah, a C but word. It's, it's about, the, I almost it's about like the violation of the female role. Yeah. It's about... Um, All right, listen, I want to talk about Jack Nicholson for okay. a second. This is the movie to see if you want to see this man's yes, power. Yes, it's his best movie. God, he's kind of hot, though, right? The acting, the performance, it's oh, tour de force, and you believe every minute of what you're seeing when you watch this film. The I, only look, other movie I love him in is Easy Rider. Haven't seen that one either. Chinatown, man. The year before and, this. Chinatown and... I actually like him in The Departed. Chinatown and... Hey, the Last Detail 73, Chinatown 74... This in 75 with some other roles as well. The Last Tycoon 76, Shining 1980. This is Jack Nicholson at the height of every, you know, this, this is Jack Nicholson. This is Jack Nicholson. Next time a woman gets involved with me, uh, I'm going to light her up like a pinball machine. Oh my gosh. After he gets the electroshock therapy. You know what my favorite uh, part of that entire movie is, is when they're out on the boat. <laughs> and the guys, the, the guy's going, well, you, what are you doing? And he's like, well, we're a group of physicians, yes, and, they, and all Cheswick, of a sudden they're like, they all snap, and they're like, "Well, you know, I'm this." And well, I'm we want to go on this adventure. that's my favorite scene in the whole. Now, movie. you mentioned something before we started recording that I think um, would be very interesting to hear a little bit more about because the film takes place in 1960 something, but the book was not written till 1975. Oh, okay. So I but got the it back. The movie came out in seventy-five. Yeah. The movie came out in seventy-five, but um, because when like the more I was, the more I was thinking about like what do I know about the time period that this is coming out, whether or not that is about like the stereotypes for like female figures at the time. But there was a lot going on. Like, do do you think that that is something that? Um, a lot going on in American history. American. Well, I mean, you're looking at like single women are in the workplace now. Well, you We're know, no I think- longer being homemakers. We are actually like doing these things. And now you have a woman in one of these roles in who charge. normally would have been at home taking care of the children, catering to the husband, doing the, you know. I, I think you really hit on something because the mid 70s, you know, were really about, I mean, the 70s were like the after party for the 60s. 
you know, the 60s. I kind of said I wasn't there for it. Like, Yeah, the 60s, there was, you know, the, the stakes were so real because of Vietnam and everything that was happening in the 70s. You know, after Vietnam and after Nixon's booted out of the White House for lying, imagine that. I wish I could do a Nixon accent. I would do it right now. Yeah, I remember when they wheeled all the tube TVs into our classroom so we could watch Nixon getting on the plane to say goodbye. I did not not realize that, like, when you were in school, they could wheel TVs in. I thought that was just, like, when I was in school, they had a big cart. Oh, no, we had that. Really? Yeah, we had the show. I watched the space shuttle blow up. Oh my gosh! On a, you guys are watching a space right shuttle now. blow up on our psychiatric ward. I, I was watched nine eleven, and but that was different. I yeah, turned around because school? they were yeah. doing group therapy, and the TV was on, and the space shuttle threw up and threw up. <laughs> Girl, I'm gonna throw up if we have too many more beers. Um, no, I watched nine eleven live. Um, I was in choir in like seventh grade. And it started happening, and the whole school turned off their lights and turned on the mounted TVs that they had just installed. And the girl that sat like three seats down from me, her dad was on a flight to New York when it happened. And then I also got to watch the other spaceship explode. There was another one. The Challenger. I was at the Hutchison in Kansas. I was in the at the Hutchison Space Center when it exploded. We were learning about them and how like oh we've made these great advances, and all of a sudden the news crew was there because that's what they were using for their backdrop. Was the Hutchison Space Center? I just picture those those TVs. I'm not going to say older. I'm not calling them older. I'm just saying like those TVs well, rolling and, in. And you know the whole thing about the former psychiatric way it was is that it was sh- shrouded in secrecy. And well, I had a question for you about this. Did, did this movie open up Americans' eyes to something they found distasteful? I don't as think much so, attention as the movie got. Because I think Americans have always been in denial about unpleasant <laughs> stuff. A lot of things. But You know, what they didn't show in that movie, I mean, I don't think it's a great psychiatric movie other than the setting, is that if it had been a group of women, they all would have been involuntarily sterilized. Oh, my gosh. If it... And that was the, that was what the medication. Some of the medication they were taking was like saltpeter, right? No, they just, they just um, did uh, hysterectomies on all of them. In fact, Clarence Thomas, Mm -hmm. our current Supreme Court justice probably oversaw more enforced sterilizations of black and Hispanic women in the South than anyone you could think of. I mean, Yikes on the bikes. psychiatric institutions in the 60s were snake pits. Mm-hmm. They were absolute snake pits. They're, the drugs were bad. They had eyes baths and um, insulin comas. Like, did you ever see a beautiful mind? I mean, they mm-hmm. they treat him by putting him in an insulin coma. I should have put that on my list because I don't remember if that movie is good or not. But I remember I it's had a good it on- movie, but it's not realistic because when people have visual hallucinations, uh-huh. it's not like that. You I know? feel like this after hours is going to be an hour and a half long. Oh my god, it and probably I'm happy will be. about it. Can I say one last thing? Sure, just because I've I think got it's two funny. last things to okay, say. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I just had like the silliest thought that if you took my movie and your movie and made it one movie, it would be a really shitty movie called Sucker Punch <laughs> that I right. love. I, I, uh, I it's uh, pretty. I'm going right along here uh, when when he's choking Nurse Ratchet and Tabor Christopher mm-hmm. Lloyd is <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> I thought that was just amazing because he <laughs> had been so subtly aggressive and violent yeah. the entire the entire movie. Well, and I also think that that was a very realistic portrayal of feminism at that time, the second wave feminism that came up big in the 60s. It mm. was like, we're going to fucking kill you if you want to be your own people. 
Man. The first shot of the film with the Native American music, which is probably a throwback, as I understand it, to the book and Chief being the narrator of the book. But in mm-hmm. this in this movie, it's much different. The first shot is the nature shot where he's imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And the last shot is the same nature shot as the Chief is receiving freedom. I saw that. It, it well, made me you know, the one thing that they got right was that... This is one of your favorite movies, Pam. They had to get a lot of things right. Well, but <laughs> if you went to jail for a crime, you would serve your time. But if you are involuntarily committed, it could be forever. And a lot of well, people as, as he don't learns. understand that. Yeah. yeah. And then I want to say Scatman Crothers. The I'm, n- I'm sorry, what was that? The nighttime the, the night guard, guard who oh is also God. with also Jack in Nicholson the in The Shining. He is so good every time you see him on screen anywhere. It's amazing what a guy will do for a piece of. <laughs> All right, listen. <laughs> Let's talk about this beer. Mad Bitch. I didn't name the beer. I don't know if that's an offensive word any longer. This is by uh, the brewery that we visited last week. I picked this up in Houston alongside that XL Pale Ale that we enjoyed last week. But this is Didol Brewery out of Belgium. So we're having an authentic Belgian triple right now. I thought this was lovely. I enjoyed every sip of this beer. I liked it, too. Uh, I think I enjoyed the first two enough that the... Uh, it, it wouldn't the, matter what I served. Yeah. I mean, it was a little weird at first, but like, I'll drink some more of it. Okay. Actually, I'm going to drink water from here because I'm going to drive home. Okay. And after hours, my first question was, do we want another beer? Oh, yeah. No, I do. Okay. <laughs> I take it back. I lied. Here's what I wrote down. A trailer that I saw that I want to talk about. Um, green hair... Uh, a, tri- a trip to Kazakhstan, Kaylee's crafts. I want to hear Pam more Pam stories. The word cunt. And oh my gosh, you can't say it. We were saying the C no. Word. We can say it. It's it's no. fine. We're explicit. And then also, um, the, I pulled up the AFI villain and hero list. I thought we could oh look at that. Oh my gosh, too. I'm the villain because I have green hair. That's after hours. Hey, Patreon.com. I have done a professional presentation on that list. Oh, Patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. You've done a professional presentation on the list that I'm going to bring up. Yeah, the heroes. And oh, villains. my God. You're going to get your money's worth if Patreon. you're a subscriber at Duh. Patreon because uh, this is going to be a two hour after hours. <laughs> no, it won't be that long. Yeah, I hope not because I got a place to be. I got All right. Stuff to do. Uh, you know what the best part about beer in a movie is, guys? What is the best part about beer in a movie? The conversation isn't in here. No. No, you can go to Discord. Oh wow! You can go to Facebook. Really? You can go to Instagram. You can go to do it for the gram. Patreon.com slash beer in a movie. As I said, that's I'm a lot sorry, to repeat. Beer in a movie podcast. Let me complete the sentence. Yeah. And uh, you can also go to our website, beerinamoviepodcast.com, where you can buy merch and all wow. kinds of other things. In fact, I want to buy a bunch of coffee mugs and or t-shirts and then present them to guests over the next few weeks. Hey. I loved this, my favorite movies thing. Imagine yeah. all of our rotating guests coming in and having these conversations. We're going to do Mother Goose Rock But and we Ryan. didn't do Lawrence of Arabia. That was a three and a half hour movie, Pam. Girl, I just watched this movie before I got here. I was not going to make it through. Yeah, but you made me watch the French <laughs> stuff, so, you know. Until next time. Someone get me a fucking wiener before I die. <laughs> Are you sure you can put this up? Because kind of <laughs> this can, is one of my we favorite can do whatever episodes. We want. <laughs>